WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of City Talk. You know, we often get involved with media people that we don't know and think that we do because we hear them so often. And one of the best that we heard so often is Nancy Quill, who was on Magic 106.7 for a total of 38 years. Nancy, I, I can't believe that it's, did it seem like 38 years? You know, people sometimes say to me, it's been a long time, that's many decades. And I think to myself, it was like the, you know, in, in an instant, in an instant, it was 38 years. Where did the time go? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I, I know you're in a radio family, so take your time and develop your early memories of radio. And I know your dad was in it and your sister was in it. So take a little time and talk about all that and give us kind of a picture of what things were like in the Quirrell household. Sure, I will. But first, I just want to say, Ken, what an honor it is to be on your show. You and I go way back, maybe not as far as my early recollection of radio, but um, it, it really is a pleasure to be on your show today. And thank you so much for, for having me. We, um, we were a radio family, that's for sure. I grew up already with a ready-made dad who was in radio. And uh, my early recollection really is doing commercials for him. And he would come home with a little tape recorder. And back then, of course, it wasn't cassette. It was the reel to reel. And he would have me do commercials for, it was a, it was a place called Duran's Chocolate Candies. And I would be this little two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old voice talking about how much I couldn't wait for Easter or Christmas. And, uh, and I couldn't wait for my Duran's Chocolate Candies. That's sort of my foray into radio. Um, and that was exciting. Right away, I knew uh, performing was exciting. And uh, this is something that uh, came natural to me, I thought at the time. And so uh, growing up with a radio family, my dad owned a radio station in Taunton, Massachusetts. He was the general manager. And uh, also he did, he wore many hats, actually. <laughs> he was a program director and a sales manager and he would go out and sell the radio station. He would do the editorials, which uh, sometimes the local newspaper didn't like. Uh, he would go out and cover fires uh, when there was a big, big fire in the Taunton area. Uh, and he would write commercials, voice commercials, he did everything. And so I learned a lot just from him. And uh, my, my mom also worked at the radio station. She worked behind the scenes most often. And my sister worked there, my brother worked there. So growing up in a radio family was like uh, being immersed in, in you know, a four year, six year education, getting your master's in radio, uh, just by growing up in it. Where did you, did you go to college for radio? Did you go to a radio I, school? I didn't. I actually went to school um, at the University of Lowell. I was a music major, majored in voice and music education. Um, but while I was there, I also worked on the, uh, the school uh, college radio station uh, because it's something I enjoyed doing and I thought it would be nice to have something to do extracurricular. And my dad kept saying, you know, you might want to get your radio license. So um, I did that while going to school for music and getting my teaching uh, certificate. Uh, but but the, the call of radio was too strong. 
Yeah, I know the feeling. I uh, <laughs> first time I visited a radio station, I was in the third grade, and we took a field trip to Rochester because I grew up in New York State, and we went to a fifty thousand watt radio station, WHAM, and I remember being in a studio, and a gentleman named Ross Weller gave a station break, and I just stood there and said. Oh boy, I love it. And my parents gave me a tape recorder when I was 10 years old and I was hooked on it. I made up radio shows. I played records. I pretended I was a DJ. So anything I could tape, I taped. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I remember, I remember reel to reel recorders very well. So, okay. So you go to Lowell, you graduate, I'm sure with honors at the top of your class. Um, <laughs> they, well, yeah, actually, did, it was not too not at the top top, but I did okay. <laughs> did they did they do anything to help you find a job, or, or or how difficult was it to actually get started and, as they say, get your feet wet? Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that because um, a couple of things kind of came into into got came into place, and um, one of them was working at the college radio station. Uh, there were several people that had jobs at stations locally around the Lowell area, Lowell Lawrence. And, <clears throat> and I worked with uh, someone who worked for Kurt Gowdy, the Kurt Gowdy station, WCGY. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice here. And so um, they said, you know, you might want to audition. They're looking for uh, a voice to do seven to midnight on Sunday nights. Um, so you might want to just get down there and, um, and try it out. And, and that's how that kind of happened, how I was able to get my first paying job while I was in college. In the meantime, my dad had um, had some people go on vacation at his radio station in Taunton and said, you know, I could use a fill-in. Would you like to do it? And so I did that for a couple of weeks. So kind of got my feet wet while I was in college doing that. And um, after I started doing the work at WCGY, they asked me to also work um, on WCCM, which was their AM radio station. And uh, for that, I did a music program on Saturday morning and, uh, and I did a buy, swap and sell show. So, you know, everybody has to do something <laughs> might be outside their comfort zone. And uh, I did that uh, for a couple of years. And after that, uh, the Gowdy uh, family wanted to hire me full time. And that's how I ended up in radio. It was really quite amazing. And I was quite lucky. I remember WCCM very well. As a matter of fact, I knew Kurt Gowdy and a gentleman that I knew at CCM. I don't know whether you knew him or worked with him or not. was a real good guy named Bruce Arnold. Oh, Bruce Arnold, of course. I loved Bruce. Wonderful, wonderful man. All right. So how long were you at CCM? I mean, let's it, take this step by step. <laughs> okay. So CCM, um, I think I, I started there in October of 79. And then uh, I was there through 1981 when I graduated. I hate doing dates, Ken. This is terrible. <laughs> People are going to go, wait a minute. How old was she then? <laughs> but um, but. Uh, yeah, I was there for just a few years. Um, and so CCM and CGY at the same time. Uh, and, and they hired me full time in 1981. Uh, and no, I could no longer work on CCM. So it was just CGY. And I did the overnight shift, which is another one of those 
kind of, you know, you got to get your feet wet. You got to do everything you can do to get on the radio. And so I did a midnight to 6 a.m. Um, overnight shift for several months. And uh, that was tough. That was really tough. But you do it because you want to get ahead and you want to get that experience. So I did that. And, uh, and so Cheryl Gowdy, who was the daughter of Kurt, uh, one day said to me, you know, I'd like to have you on during the day. So we'd like to put you on in the afternoon. And that's how I ended up doing daytime shift uh, on CGY and uh, did that for just a few months. And then who came calling but WMJX 106.7 in December of 1981. I, I know what it's like to work the overnights. I, uh... <laughs> I did it for a longer time than a couple of months with a guy you may have heard of named Glick. And, oh, uh, Mr. Larry Glick, one of the Mr. best in Larry the business. Glick. Oh, yes. absolutely. But I'll yes. tell you, those those hours were murder. Um, it it really changes are. your it changes your whole life. It does. On one hand, you really can't make plans to do anything or go out to dinner. Or, That's right. I mean, I can remember going to ball games and having to leave in the seventh or eighth inning because I had to go to work. And That's oh, right. Did I, did I hate doing that? I did. And sometimes I didn't know whether to sleep before I went in or to sleep after I, you know, leave in the morning. It was, it was, everything was just upside down. And uh, if, if it doesn't do any, if it doesn't do anything, it, it definitely tells you, you want to, you want to quickly hurry up and find a, a daytime job so you can have a life again. Yep, I eventually did it. It was it was so nice to know that the sun actually came up in the morning and I saw it. You know? Yeah, it was, yeah. It, was a, it was it was a marvelous feeling. And you now saw we, it with everybody else too. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. And there is a there is a life. Uh, yes. You know, and you can and you can stay up after ten or eleven o'clock at night and you know help Johnny Carson through the Tonight Show. But I'll tell you what, Ken, I'll bet you it was the best experience, don't you think? Just doing that shift, just the Larry, same. Larry Glick always used to say he liked it because it was our own little candy star and he didn't have to worry about the suits, as he, <laughs> as he referred to management. And, yes. <laughs> uh, it, it was interesting, I'll tell you. There, there are many stories that, uh, you know, can go along with, with working that shift and the people that you get to meet and and all that it was it was um i can't say i wouldn't trade it because i would for decent hours but larry uh larry made me into shall we say a star and yes i'll i'll always be grateful for what he did and for what he taught me in the business so well there's there's something to be said about that ken and, and you're talking about a lot of those great people on bz uh, all those years you know, we all looked up to them, uh, Dave Maynard and, uh, you know, all the other people that, you know, started out uh, there in, in, in rock and roll of the 60s when they when they played the music of the 60s there. We even though we had a, a radio station in Taunton and my dad was part of that, we were listening to Boston radio and my sister, who was coming of age in the 60s she would listen to the, the the djs on bz and we got to know them and it was a great great lesson in 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 fabulous personalities yep the one i'll always remember is bruce bradley yes who, uh, yes always referred to bz as w beatles z <laughs> yes <laughs> back in those days yeah. and uh one of gary lapierre's first assignments when he got to BZ was to cover the Beatles coming to Boston. 
uh, you know, and meeting them at the airport and spending time with them. And he always would talk to me about what a great throw that was at, at that particular time. It was, it was a special time to be alive and to be around Boston right. and, and to be in radio. And you don't realize it until it's not there anymore. Oh, absolutely. You, you really treasure those days. Now, we both know the name Don Kelly. Was yes. he the man that, that offered you the Cinderella job, as it were? Well, actually, no. He came along a few program directors later. Uh, the first person to offer me the job there when we first went on the air um, was Jack Casey. Now, this is interesting because we're talking about WBZ. Well, 106.7 is what was WBZ-FM. Yep, and I remember it well. Yep. And Greater Media bought WBZ-FM and uh, and in in actually that's how I, I knew because I knew some people at WBZ and they said there's a new radio station coming to Boston you might want to audition for it so I sent a tape in Jack Casey heard it he liked it he came uh, he, he called me and said you got to come in for an interview and so uh, I came in and didn't had my interview they wanted to hire me and who walked in the door right after me but David Allen Boucher of Bedtime Magic. Uh, yeah. Yes, I know the name, and I have met him several times, and I think he's still there. Uh, he actually retired. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, he did retire. He, he did. He just retired just a few months ago after he made it past 40 years, which I did not have a chance to do, but he, he was able to get there and, um, and, and retire after 40 years. But uh, getting back to, to Don Kelly, um, we had a couple of other program directors in between. Uh, Phil Rado was another one who was also, uh, people might remember him from uh, the days of uh, the old WROR, uh, um, when, when they were, I think they were 98.5, I think. Yep. Yeah, um, you're right. Yeah. And and uh and so and so then Don Kelly came along and he uh he was really <clears throat> one of the best program directors I've ever worked with. He really understood radio. He got the best out of all of us. He was meticulous. Um, but he really um he's he's an unsung hero in in Boston radio and deserves a lot of credit for making magic uh the powerhouse that it ended up being. In, in those days. Yep. I had a program director that I worked for at, uh, at WBZ exactly like a Don Kelly, except he was more involved in the, in the talk radio with people like Larry Glick, Jerry Williams, <laughs> Guy, Guy Manila. Yes. Uh, Larry Justice. There's a name. There's a name. <laughs> and and uh, some some guy you may have heard of named Carl DeSouz. Oh yes, yes. Yes. These are the these are the big names of radio in Boston. Talk radio, no doubt about it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, tell me was the was the 10 o'clock shift the first shift you started to work at at, oh, at no. uh, Magic? At no, no. They hired me for for late nights, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. And it's interesting because David Allen Boucher was given the 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. shift. And he uh, and, and, and that's how we started. And after a while, they said, you know, we think we want to shift things around and flip these two personalities. We want to do this thing called bedtime magic. And we think this guy, David Allen Boucher, has such a great voice for late night radio. 
and so what they did is they put me on earlier and put David on. Um, I think it ended up starting at 8 p.m. instead of 9 p.m. But um, so I ended up doing an early evening shift. Not long after that, I became the music director. So they moved me to a, a later afternoon shift so I could be there during the day. Um, now, actually, I've done almost every shift on Magic since it started, except for overnights. At one point, I did a morning show, uh, which was very brief, which was good because I had a tough time getting up early. <laughs> so that yeah, that, didn't, yeah. that didn't last very long. <laughs> but uh, what I'm most known for is middays, which after that morning show, um, I ended up uh, doing the midday shift on magic. And I'd, I've been doing that for well over two decades or had been doing it for well over two decades. Norm Nathan said something to me once and I, I didn't totally agree with it, but I never forgot it. And we were driving to, I don't know, somewhere we were on a panel of some kind. And he said to me, think of management always as the enemy. Ooh. And I never, I, I never could do that. I had a hard, I mean, there yeah. were some that I did, let me tell you. But <laughs> you can't help it. <laughs> there, there were many that I, that I felt that way later on yeah. uh, as, as time progressed and, and things started changing. But for a long time, um, I enjoyed management. Yeah. I, yeah. I enjoyed management. Yeah. And I'm sure you felt that way about Don Kelly. Oh, very much so. I mean, he really, uh, and I think you have to respect somebody like Don. Uh, and when they're doing things right and they're making a difference and the numbers show it, we were very, very successful under Don's leadership. Um, it's uh, and, and we had a, a great company. We had a great general manager in Peter Smythe, who ended up becoming the CEO of Greater Media. And uh, so we, we were very fortunate to have really good people that were... Uh, they treated us like family. And, and of course, not everything goes great all the time. I mean, it is a business and you do have to watch out for that. And sometimes it's beyond your control. Sometimes it's a business decision when they make these certain decisions to do things. And you can't, can't always take it personally. It's hard not to, but, but that's just the, the nature of business. So, um, but I would say all in all, working for Greater Media, working with Don and with Peter and, and many of the other program directors and, and other salespeople uh, and, and, and the company itself, uh, the, the leaders of the company, I have to say it was a very, very good experience for me. Um, I, I really enjoyed every minute. In fact, I used to say, and people looked at me like I had, you know, like three heads, I would say, you know, I loved when Monday morning came along because I couldn't wait to go to the radio station. People say, you're crazy. You wanted to get up and go to work after the weekend. Yes, I did. I loved it that much. Yeah, I know that. I know that feeling because when I came to Boston, I was young. I was single. I was I was doing something that I had dreamed about all my life. And I used to work almost seven days a week for a while. I mean, I would do yeah. I would do the Glick show. I would produce Calling All Sports on Saturday nights and then worked with a guy named Dick Stockton yes. doing, calling, doing Calling All Sports on Sunday nights. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I practically lived at the radio station, but I loved every minute of it. Sure. 
You're on adrenaline at that point, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, when when it's one of those industries where when you get the bug for it and you love it, um, people will do that. They'll work seven days a week. They love it that much. I, I had an announcer friend of mine in Washington, D.C. As a matter of fact, he used to work with a guy named Willard Scott, who was ah, yes. the yes, weatherman Willard. on the Today Show. Yes. And he said to me once, he said, Kenny, if you like radio and it gets in your blood, you'll never get out of it. And yeah. I never realized how right he was because here I am um, at this stage of my life and I'm still doing radio. And, and you're and probably one of the more fortunate people still doing radio because it's getting harder and harder for people to uh, stay in the business and, and have a career in it and keep going and going until they don't want to do it anymore. It's, it, I think that's a testament to you for sure, Ken. Well, uh, we're going to get to that eventually. Uh, but <laughs> one, of the, one of the things Magic was noted for, and I'm sure you had something to do with it, even if it was behind the scenes, was the Exceptional Women program and luncheons. Oh, yes, uh -huh. yes. Oh, well, I, I'm going to tell you about that because that was really um, one of our flagship events. Now, that wasn't something that I uh, came up with. I, I'm going to give all the credit to Candy O'Terry, who really uh, took that and ran with it. She just did a fabulous job with that show. I mean, it, it started out as, as a show about women, uh, the success of women, the you know the the hardships of what women have gone through and, and the things they've accomplished, and she uh, brought some great great people to the event when we finally said you know that we, we've got to make this into a yearly event. Uh, so um, I, I, I really commend Candy for creating that show, and uh, and and now it's still a part of Magic, although Candy has has moved on. Uh, Sue Tab and Kendra Bertoni also have carried on the Exceptional Women show, and it's still going on there. They don't do the event anymore, but uh, it's still a viable show, and uh, it it's one of those uh, programs you can be proud of. The event is something we could be proud of. Uh, we had some great, I mean, I, I wish I could think off the top of my head, but we had some real uh, well-known personalities and, and recording artists come in. Uh, Carly Simon was honored uh, at Exceptional Women. Uh, we had, um, we had um, Mary Wilson of the Supremes. We had uh, Michelle Phillips of the Mamas and Papas. Uh, she was also honored on Exceptional Women. We've had journalists and then we've had remarkable people who uh, just have done work behind the scenes uh, not even in, in show business, but, you know, in healthcare and in finance and in all walks of life, people that have overcome tremendous uh, tragedies that have made something of themselves and been able to ca uh, carry on. Uh, we've honored all kinds of people, all kinds of women from all walks of life. And it, talk about very inspiring. I, I think, Ken, you've been at some of those events, haven't you? Oh, yes. Yes. I, in <clears throat> fact, I was going to throw out some names myself, yeah. like uh, yeah. Leslie, Leslie Stahl. Yes. 60 Minutes. That's right. Uh, Doris Roberts from Everybody Loves Raymond. You're doing uh, better than I am. You remember all these people. <laughs> You're uh, right. I had, a, I had a chance to meet Carol Simpson, who used to be a, a weekend uh, uh, news anchor for ABC News. That's right. And uh, her daughter is Dr. Malika Marshall. 
right. uh, who you see on WBZ. Right. I don't know what happened to, I, I assume Carol is no longer with us. I'm not sure of that. I don't I know. Can't, I can't tell you what a big thrill it was to meet her. And and you had local people too, like Robin Young and Joyce Kohaywick. Yes. Um, Liz I, Walker. I, Liz Walker, yes. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any. Um, there was somebody that Candy interviewed from Channel 7 who who did news, and I can't think of who that was, but... Oh, yeah. I can't think off the top of my head. We had so many really remarkable women. And uh, it really was it was so exciting to be a part of it. And uh, those are some of the events that I will never, ever forget. Now, as music director, and and I know that it used to be this way at other radio stations, you actually had salesmen or people themselves promoting records. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they don't do that anymore. But no. Did, were you exposed to a lot of that when you when you were music director? I was not. And here's something very interesting about that. Um, one thing about Magic was uh, Greater Media had a policy that they would not report uh, to the trades, which which is you know the the trade publications that would uh, you would report uh, the songs you're playing in order for the song to get, uh, you know, like number one or number two status, that kind of thing. They didn't want to report what they were playing. So uh, because we didn't do that, the record company execs wouldn't come to us. So for many, many years while I was music director, um, that's one of the things you used to do. You'd get product from the record companies. They would give you the record to spin, but then you had to report to the trades. Well, we didn't do that. So we didn't get the product. What we, what I had to do is I had to go down to a store and buy the stuff to bring it in and play it. And, and it, kind of an archaic policy. And I wasn't happy about it, but it was just the policy. Uh, after uh, many years, they decided to change that. I wasn't the music director anymore at that point, but they did decide to report to the trades. So then they did get product from the record company. So I kind of missed all that. I missed, but then again, maybe we were lucky because a lot of times when the record execs would come in, they might give you the front row seats. If you would play the record, you know, that whole payola thing, it kept us, it kept us clean. It kept us from getting in trouble. No, I I used to hear stories uh, from people uh, about, uh, singers like i mean i'm going way way back now like a jerry vale who would come into a to a radio station and you know this might be his first record but they would they would do promotional tours and come in yeah. and do interviews and uh, mm-hmm. you know they would play the record and coincidentally enough they they just happen to have a copy of it and <laughs> yeah um, yeah exactly and you, you used to hear stories of of uh bz and and hdh battling over who would get uh, the, the first chance to play a record by a Barbara Streisand or a, oh, yeah. you know, a Neil Diamond or a somebody like that. That's and it's right. always, it's always interesting in hearing stories like that. Sure. Uh, sure. I, and you know, it's not to say that we didn't have our share of visitors. I mean, we de- definitely had some, some big, big people come through the door. I mean, Lionel Richie, uh, funniest thing was I was on the air and all of a sudden I see this face, in the door looking at me and like, oh, that's Lionel Richie. And these 
motioning, can he come in? Can he come in? I said, sure, come on in. And he <laughs> bounds in the door. <laughs> my number two. He said, uh, I was just outside. I saw you in the window and I just wanted to come in and say hi. So we put him <laughs> on the air and it was a great interview. But, you know, we, we had some fun things like that happen. So it's not like we didn't have um, some of the big personalities come by. But, you know, he didn't say play my record, play my record, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it was fun. He, he was just there for for, he was promoting whatever he was promoting at the time, but um, there was no pressure. It was just to, to get him on the air. And it was fabulous. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was it was a great time because when I was at BZ, you had you had a channel four, channel five and channel seven, and they all had local talk shows and mm -hmm. they didn't have the technology that they have today. So right. if somebody wanted to promote something, they actually had to go to the city and make an appearance. And you never knew when you walked in the station. I mean, I walked in one day and but literally bumped into Jane Fonda. Oh, <laughs> and gee. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was Jane Fonda one day, yeah. Vincent Price another right. day. Yeah. Um, Red Skelton another day. Uh, I even met Beaver Cleaver one day. And I kind of enjoyed that. I gotta tell you, it was it was great stuff. Well, was was it was it older Beaver Cleaver or the younger Beaver yeah. Cleaver? Yeah, no, yeah. no, the, this this was older. I think it was. Uh, they they would all come uh, either in the in the afternoon to do uh, people are talking. Right. People used to joke about it and say people are squawking uh, <laughs> with uh, with Sonia Hamlin and and right. later on Tom Bergeron. Tom Bergeron, yes. Who we actually worked at Magic for a while. Yes, he did. He did. He did our morning show for a while. And um, and I and a couple of other uh, women in radio were on People Are Talking when he was on there. Uh, they did a whole segment about uh, women in radio. And uh, I was on there um, along with Karen Blake. I remember she was there. And I can't remember some of the other women that were there. But we, um, yeah, we were on that show too. But Tom, talk about, you know, seeing somebody you knew he was going to be successful no matter where he ended up. He was just one of those people that was destined to do something even bigger than local radio. He, and he did, he did oh, for yeah, quite he some did. time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He, every, every, and he's a nice guy. You know, you can yeah, also say is. that about him. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I remember I used to see him in the hallways and he would say, broadcasting is my life. <laughs> you know, and yeah. he's, he's, he's one of these people that started out in Haverhill yes. at, at WHAV and, and progressed from there. Yeah. And I, I assume now is re enjoying the fruits of uh, retirement out in California. Yeah, I'm, I think he, and I see him, he's, he posts every now and then on Facebook and uh, he's, he's got some big friends like, you know, Dick Van Dyke. And I mean, it's like, he's, he's doing okay. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember once he told me he had lunch with Carol Burnett, Tim Conway, and, um, uh, oh, I know who you're going to say. Harvey Corman. Yes, Harvey Corman. That's right. I mean, can you imagine having a lunch <laughs> like that? Who'd want to eat? No, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, and you know, and it's kind of neat because I think he's still starstruck in a way. I think he still loves that he's meeting these great, great iconic people, and that that he respects them just as much, you know, even as as they're his friends, uh, or and he knows them more intimately. He still is in wonder. I think 
That's just oh. my opinion. I don't know, Tom, what do you think? I, just, <laughs> All right. I was definitely starstruck at BZ. I mean, I, I, I remember one day when we celebrated our 50th anniversary on radio, we had uh, all old radio people on Jerry Williams' program for a whole week. And, and one of the people that we had was Art Linkletter. Oh, wow. And somebody told me one day, he said, uh, I just want you to know that Art Linkletter is over at BZTV. Well, needless to say, <clears throat> I went over to BZTV <laughs> and introduced myself and, and Linkletter remembered me in the interview. And I said, have you got 10 or 15 minutes to come over to radio and do an interview? And he yeah. said, well, if we haven't got time, we'll make time. He just got up and walked out of the studio. Oh. <laughs> Somebody told me later they didn't know who had a bigger grin on their face, me or Linkletter. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's a great story. Yeah, we've and and we've had so many wonderful people, and and not just musicians come in. We had politicians. You know, you know, that's kind of a whole different story. Maybe we don't even want to talk about that. But we've had our share of that. And it's funny you mentioned because um, we talk about how people don't do as much anymore because we have uh, you know internet now, and you can do Zoom calls and and all of that. But when my parents were in radio early, early, um, I mean you know, President Kennedy came by and, and shook hands and said, hi, you know, he, they, he came to the radio station, you know, John F. Kennedy, um, yep. which reminds me, and I don't mean to go on and on, but no, no, um, go I, ahead. one of my biggest well, thrills was meeting JFK Jr. He came to the radio station and, um, and I sat down and had a conversation with him while they were, they were doing some kind of a promo. They wanted him to record. So while he was waiting, I thought, okay, I've got to sit down and talk to this guy. <laughs> so I, And it wasn't a formal interview. I just wanted to introduce myself. And he was very gracious, very nice. But I thought, wow, I'm, I, you know, it was very iconic to me to, to meet JFK Jr. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting. It's, a, it's an exciting business to be in because you oh, do yeah. get to meet some of these people that you think in, in you, all your years, you'd never have a chance to if you weren't in the business. So it's very exciting. I, I know the feeling. I had that same experience with Jimmy Carter, not once, but twice. Oh, yes. Yes, and he was at BZ, if I recall. Yes, yes he was. Uh, yeah. The first time, it was funny because the first time when he came, he came in through the front door in that great big lobby and was mobbed by people who knew that he was coming. The second time, he came in the back way and I had to let him in. And <laughs> I, I, just, I just happened to have a copy of his book with me. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I remember kidding him and saying, Mr. President, if you don't sign this, you don't get in. <laughs> so I bet he, he signed that right away for you. He did. He took the book, he signed it, and he gave it back to me, and he said, done. And I said, oh. okay, come on in. Come on so in. I, yeah. What a I, I thrill. Know what it's, I know what it's like to meet yes. uh, uh, politicians. Yeah. Um, and, and the, you know, you could sense the Secret Service people just lining up all the way down the hallway. Oh, yeah. This, this mass of humanity. Uh, while, mm -hmm. while Carter was there and every once in a while, I would, I would think to myself, my gosh, I'm, I'm getting paid for this. Yeah. I can't believe it. You know? I know. I know. It's, it's hard. That's a perk of the business. No doubt about that. Um, the people that you meet. Did you, did you make a lot of personal appearances? 
Um, I, you know, yes, um, a lot of them were, you know, and, and personal appearances, as you know, are things like going to supermarkets, going to the malls, going to, you know, a, 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 just a small store or, a, you know, a cell phone store at the time. Um, and we did a lot of that. And um, you know, there were meet and greets and you would pass out keychains and, you know, uh, t-shirts and have contests and, and, and just meet the people. And I have to say that every time I ever did that, the people that would come up and say that they loved the station, they loved listening, they were the nicest, nicest people, families, uh, you know, even, you know, when I was a little bit older, younger people coming up and say, oh, I love the station, or my mom or my grandma loves the station. Yeah. Yep. Um, but but everybody was always so nice. I, I don't think we ever had anybody come up to us that was, you know, uh, somebody that you wouldn't want to have around. I mean, everybody was wonderful from all walks of life. We were so lucky. We were a radio station that had that kind of a listener. They, they were great. You never realize, I don't think, the impact that you have on people and people's lives until you're in the radio business. That's so true. They they feel like they know you. And, and I'd like to say that they do know you. I, I don't want to say that they don't, because I think any good uh, radio personality uh, is somebody who's their authentic self. Um, and and I think people get that and they know that. So when they do meet you, um, they you are that person. You're, you're not somebody different. People don't go yeah. away and say, gee, I thought they were going to be something different when they weren't, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think people are smarter than we, you know, like to give them credit for. I, I will share two quick stories. Uh, there was a Monday night when I was on the air after a Patriots game, and I, I played an interview that I had done with Joe Garagiola. And somebody called me later on and he said, you know what? He said, I got stuck in a traffic jam outside of Schaefer Stadium. And I want you to know that it was the best traffic jam I ever got stuck in because I loved that interview with Joe Garagiola. Oh, wow. Oh, that's fantastic. That says something. That's got to make you feel good. Well, there was another time when I was at Boston Garden for something involving the Special Olympics and, and people like Bobby Orr and Rico Petroselli were there. And a gentleman came up to me and he said, are you Ken Meyer? And I said, yes. And he said, you know, my wife uh, always used to listen to you on Saturday nights and was on oxygen. And he said, you, you kept her alive because on Sunday mornings she would get up and she would say, do you know what Kenny did last night? Or do you oh, know what Kenny said? Yes. I, I never, I never forgot stuff like that. And it's it, interesting that you say that. And, and as you know, magic, they play a lot in, in, in hospitals, places like that. And I can't tell you how many people that work in an emergency room or in an OR or in a recovery room would say, we had you on. And I'm telling you, it was such it made everybody feel calmer, feel better. Uh, we just love, you know, we love listening to the voice and the music. And uh, we want to thank you for being there for us because you're soothing. And uh, it, they would say things like that. It made you feel good uh, to know that they chose you to be there um, when they're operating on people. But, you know, there's something very subliminal about that that is putting everybody at ease, especially a patient or especially um, a worried parent or a worried loved one worried about their loved one who's being treated um, to know that 
that you might be making them feel a little bit better, a little calmer, um, help them catch their breath. That, that's a good feeling. Yep. There was one time when I was, I was in the hospital after being in a car accident and I was doing the radio show from the hospital. You and, did? And the, yeah. And the nurses would come in and they'd say, can you mention my name on the air? Can you, <laughs> you know, can you mention this or mention that? And, and I did. And I, I, you know, the radios were on and I could hear my voice echoing all over the hallways. <laughs> it was great. It was great stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. That's so exciting. I, I just thought of an, and one other thing, and it seemed a little odd at the time, but now I'm, I'm realizing um, how important it was. We actually had a request. Um, there was a family that was going to be pulling the plug on their loved one, and they wanted us to play a song as they were doing that. Um, and, and it was uh, this person's favorite song, and it was me and Mrs. Jones. And I thought, of all the songs you're going to play, but evidently um, this was the song they wanted to hear, and uh, that was, then they they were going to go through this process. They pulled the plug, and we played it for them, and we, we said goodbye on the air, and uh, and to to let them know that we were thinking of them, and and uh, our thoughts and prayers were with them. And it ended up being a very very sweet special moment. At first, it seemed a little awkward, but it actually wasn't after all. Yep, I, I know that feeling. When did you notice that the business started to change? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you, you kind of feel things coming years before. Uh, I think it's when a lot of these radio stations were being bought up by big companies. And then some trades were going on between the two big companies. And, you know, you get uh, Wall Street gets involved, they're publicly traded. That started to happen. And you started seeing uh, salaries being cut, uh, programs being cut, uh, trying to find less expensive ways to make things happen. And that's, it's a business. You know, you always say, well, in, in, in my heart, I don't like that, but in my head, I understand it's business. But this was this has been happening for probably a good twenty years. I think. I think it's really, uh, it's really now come to fruition where it's it's completely changed radio, completely changed it. And I think it has to do with big companies, um, and they're watching the bottom line, and so they they're now realizing that you can play music without a, a personality there. You can, you can, if you have a personality there, you can voice track it and that's going to be less expensive. Um, this has been happening for several years now, but now it's, it's becoming routine. I'm not sure if it'll ever go back to the way it used to be. Yeah. I, I remember uh, well, a close friend of mine and yours, uh, Gay Vernon told me that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, she felt bad. They started cutting newscasts. They all used to have an eight yeah. o'clock newscast. Yes. In the morning, they right. dumped it. And I, I guess that was one of the things that made her decide it was time to pack it in, as it were, and leave yeah. the business. Yep. And, and you always feel bad when, when a great person like Gay, who was a wonderful talent and a, and a great lady and a yes. friend of mine for over 40 years, suddenly decides to pack it in because of that. Right. Um, is that what made you want to retire? Or did you just decide... I've done it. I don't want to do it anymore. 
I think it was just time. Um, and it, it helps when you have a, a spouse who's thinking the same. Uh, we, uh, our, our son had grown, he was on his own. And, um, and my, my husband, Roger, um, is an architect. And uh, he was seeing his business changing too. And we both said, you know, we've worked very hard uh, all our lives um, and put our all into our careers. And uh, we, we saved and saved and saved. And we said, you know, this is probably the right time to make that decision to uh, have a, a more leisurely life, I guess is the way to, the way to put it. Um, and so, yeah, um, it, was, it was that. And, and seeing the businesses change really, really made a difference in, in our decision to, to leave. So how long have you been retired now? I didn't, I didn't know when, when that had happened or here. Well, it was, it was actually during the pandemic, actually. Um, and I could see that um, things were changing with the, the most recent company that Magic was with, that they were looking to make some changes. And uh, this, in, in April, of um i guess it would be 20 now uh, 2020 uh that was boy can it be that it's already been a couple of years now <laughs> yeah oh my gosh that was that was the the month and and we were i was recording my show from home because we couldn't go in because of the pandemic and uh and 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 contractually uh things were were coming up and i just said this is it this is the time and this, and uh, and I knew that that was something they would agree to anyway, uh, because they they wanted to make changes themselves. Um, the company, not locally, um, I had the support of of local management, but but I think the um, the national management they were looking to slash 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 all across the country, and and they continue to do that. All of the big companies are just slashing their their uh, their local talent. Uh, and uh, it's happening to everybody. So um, I, I'm not the only one to say this is this is enough. I know I had I've had people that we both know say to me, "Be glad you're not in the business anymore because yeah. it's it's different. It's not the same." And I think you're always looking over your shoulder because um, you, you just don't, never know what the, the the big company wants to do. And uh, and I've seen people, they move them into a, a nice uh, position. And a couple of months later, they decide that that's, you know, forget about that position. We, um, we, we can't afford it. See you later. So um, you just you just don't know. Did you ever have second thoughts after you retired and say, geez, maybe I should have hung on a while longer? Um, you know, sometimes when when I first stopped uh, the show, I felt like, and I liken it to like, you feel like you, if, if you lost a limb, you know, you, you feel like it's still there, you know, it's, it, it's like that phantom feeling like I should be on the air. I should be doing this. Th that's still what I do. And I, then I thought, no, I don't do that anymore. And yeah, I missed it. I missed it at first. Um, and, and I still do uh, uh, voiceover work. So I'm, I have a little studio in my house here in Florida. And I do uh, just for small clients here and there, I do some voiceover work. So, you know, it's not like I'm completely, I'm, I'm completely gone cold turkey. I, I still have a hand in something involving communications. So, but yeah, yeah I, I did miss it for a time. I, I did. 
it was it was hard for me too. I have to admit because when I would hear guests on the air and they would be being interviewed by people, I'd think to myself, "Geez, I can do that, and I can do that better than they can." You know? <laughs> yeah, so, I know. Well, that's the hard part when you you you're listening and you go, "Oh, why did they do this?" Or I should have done that, or I could have done that. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, if there is one thing that you will take away from working 38 years and remembering. I mean, I can sit here and do it. Uh, what would it be for you? The one thing, like the one memory, the one yep. uh, special yep. moment. Well, there there are a couple. Uh, and uh, the first one was um, when James Taylor came to the radio station and he came to celebrate our, our anniversary of Magic being on the air. I think it was the 20th. I want to say 20th. Um, and uh, I got to sit down with him and and talk with him and he he brought his guitar and he played it was one of the most special moments um i've ever experienced i always loved james taylor so uh, having him there was really just so special so special and uh, i'll never forget that the other is the christmas tree lightings on the boston common doing those every year lighting up the christmas tree and being part of the show um, that was probably one of the most exciting moments um, to be on the on stage um, and and gearing up the audience and and getting them excited for the holiday season. I loved that, and I loved when we played the Christmas music. So those two things really stand out as some of the most special times um, on on Magic for me. Now you told me yesterday that now on your on your shift. It is being voice tracked. There is yes. no one in the studio. That's correct. If, That's if my that, understanding. If that were me, that would that would kind of hurt. Well, um, again, I mean, there's the head and the heart. You know, the heart says, "Gee, can't you have somebody live in there?" But the head says, "If you can do it." and the station is still successful doing it, then I guess that's that's their decision. Um, and uh, so I, I can't say, um, I, I think that's, that's something a company needs to decide for themselves. Um, but uh, it is sad that somebody there is not really there. I, I feel badly for people listening, but maybe it doesn't matter as much anymore uh, these, this, these days, that it, it doesn't matter that you have a live body there. Did you ever feel pressured while you were working because of, of ratings and rating periods and stuff like that? Was it was it yeah. was it hard to just go in and relax and do a show? Um, it wasn't hard to relax and do the show, but yeah, there was always in the back of your mind you wanted. I, it was really more. It wasn't so much pressure, but it was for myself. I wanted wanted to succeed. I wanted the my day part middays to be number one, you know, that was my goal. So it wasn't just, there was pressure from the company, but it was, it was, I guess, pressure from myself, but I never thought of it as, as pressure, but more of, of a challenge. And I wanna do this um, and, and I think I can. And so, yeah, I never felt real pressure. I didn't feel like I was ever looking over my shoulder. I, I know that in the beginning, um, you guys could pick your own music and play what you wanted to yes. and later on that was taken away yes did that did you resent that um I, I i didn't resent it so much as i i missed it um i loved that when we first started on magic 
we used to have this file card file and you would pick from categories and and you would play the song that you picked and then you'd date it and you'd put it in the back of that category pile and that was so much fun because you really could be creative um and obviously there were parameters because you know you only had certain songs that you could play because those were all researched songs that were that that people loved but um, I loved doing that when I was in college. I get to play whatever I want, but you know there were no ratings associated to that. Uh, and then as time went on, and we had computers, we had the music director pick the music, and then they would just hand that to you, and you would just play what what uh, they they gave you. So um, the the fun of picking the music was gone, but um, the fun of talking about the music was still there. So you could still do that. Would you, would you still advise people? to get into the business, even though it's, I mean, if, if I tried to get into it now, I would never make it because of the way the business is. And I don't know if I could sit here and honestly tell someone on one hand, if this is what you want, go for it. But on yeah. the other hand, pointing out how difficult it is because of the fact that radio stations are towing the line and they don't have talent in there every day when they can pay somebody X amount of dollars to just sit and run a board and play right. the commercials. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think things are different now, but, but um, it's evolving and it may not be something that we're comfortable with, but anybody who wants to get involved in radio and especially talk, I mean, you do have, uh, uh, you know, other ways of getting your voice out there. You have podcasts and a lot of, actually a lot of uh, radio companies are putting a lot more uh, money into podcasts and, uh, and there's that. Um, but I think there are going to be fewer jobs. So anybody who wants to get into radio will have to understand that the jobs aren't as many as there used to be. So you're going to be competing against a lot of other people. Um, but um, there are other ways to get involved and it may not be radio. It may be through internet, uh, satellite, um, maybe other ways in which you want to express um, your interest in radio, which is not really going to be radio anymore. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think it's just hard for us because we didn't grow up with that kind of a, landscape but but young people are and so they'll they'll find a way to be able to connect i uh, i'm still friendly with a program director from bz that was there in the 70s and got me involved in doing stuff that i never thought i would be able to do and, and meet people that i never thought i would ever meet and he always says to me you know be glad of the fact that we were there when it was much different and much better than it is today. Yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, my, my friends and I talk about that all the time. Um, we were so lucky. Uh, you know, my friend, I'm talking about my friends who, who were my colleagues as well. We really were in radio in, in a heyday. It was one of the heydays of radio and we're so grateful. Listen, I'm grateful. Uh, I thank you so much for taking uh, time to sit down with me and, and just playing reminisce i i uh, i loved your work very much and i enjoy you as a human being oh, and uh, it, it's it's been an honor to have you uh, as a guest and just reminisce about as they say in the trade the good old days the good old days that's right is, well ken is, i i can't 
begin to tell you how wonderful it was to sit here and chat with you. And you, as you know, we do go back a, f- a few decades and uh, yeah. it's, it's been great yep. to catch up. <laughs> back, back to that apartment in Quincy on the night. Yes. Floor oh, yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. We had some fun, didn't we? <laughs> we, we certainly did. We certainly yeah. did. Those were, those were great. Too bad we didn't have any videos. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm kind of glad we didn't get <laughs> <laughs> Nancy, it's, it's, it's really been great. If there's anything you want to say to our audience before you, before we wrap this up, uh, please feel free to do so. Um, sure. I, I'd really like to just say that um, my time in Boston um, will, I will keep with me always. It's really something that I'll never forget being on the air in Boston. There's nothing like the Boston radio listener. And I was fortunate to be there um, at the right time. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And I'll be thinking about that till the end of days. Yep. I know the feeling. I know what it's like. (laughs) And only those that have been in the business know what it's like when that mic goes on the air and you're able to speak to hundreds and thousands of people. And yes. knowing that they're they're listening to every word you're saying. Yeah, that's true. Thank you so much, Ken. Oh, listen, I I thank you. It's been a it's been a pleasure and an honor. And uh, I whatever happens in your life, I wish you all the best. Uh, Godspeed. And um, anything else you can think of, all the old cliches, they certainly apply to you because you are one of the best. You're a credit to the media and uh, just a credit as a human being. Thank you, Ken. Same to you. And I, I thank you for that. And that will do it for another edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.